Good morning and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. My name is Larry Kay uh, and I'm a, I'll be the host for the presentation uh, today. And today is Sunday, August 7th, 2022. Let me give you the share ID numbers for Friday, August 5th for the 7 a.m. Uh, Friday morning meeting. That number is 19,262. That's 19262. And for the 10 a.m. meeting, that number is 19,263-19263. This morning, A Vision for You presents, we had to fully concede. So when we, we first arrived to the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous, um, it's, it's important that we recognize that if, if you are indeed a compulsive overeater, food is, is not your problem. You know, we learn it, it's actually the solution to your problem. And we, we, we don't see the truth about the food because we're only thinking about the relief that comes when we eat. And that's why uh, the OA program, which is the implementation of the 12 steps, is more than just about not eating. It's about, it's really about it. I mean, among other things, about uh, finding a comfortable way of life that doesn't include meeting are alcoholic foods. And so there's a big difference between just not eating and not eating and being happy about it, being content about it. And there, there's a mention of another aspect of alcoholism in step one. It's the unmanageability. And sometimes we refer to that. It's the spiritual malady, untreated alcoholism. It's, it's, it's also the root of our problem the spiritual malady or the spiritual illness, which is the result of being like spiritually blocked off by our character defects from our higher power. And it's going to exist for us as long as we are not seeking and growing towards the solution. And that solution is, of course, access to a power greater than ourselves, whether we are eating or not. And the big book gives us many descriptions of that sort of inner condition that occurs if an alcoholic does not deal with the spiritual malady. Um, Dr. Silkworth described that the inner state of being talks about restless, irritable, discontented. Page 37 in the big book describes, um, you know, the, the, the condition as nervousness, anger, worry, depression, jealousy. Even 52, when we get to page 52, describes that inner unmanageability. Talks about having trouble with personal relationships. I, I had that. Uh, not being able to control our emotional natures, being a prey to misery and depression, not being able to make a living, which you know also includes not being able to make a successful life, and having a feeling of uselessness, being full of fear, unhappy, not seeming to be of real help to other people. So if you cannot handle eating. And you cannot handle not eating. I am, we are indeed powerless. And the big book, you know, tells me that if that be the case, I, I'm going to have to have a spiritual awakening. I'm going to have to have some sort of revolutionary change of heart and mind. Joining us this morning are three recovered compulsive overeaters. Each of the three panelists will share on step one and describe, uh, you know, various aspects of their powerlessness and unmanageability as well as the numerous uh, ways that the illness impacted their lives. And then, of course, the eventual admittance and surrender that had to occur. 
So we have the three panelists, and this is the order in which they're going to speak. We have Lisa B. from South Carolina, Dana P. from California, and Diane B. from New York. And each speaker is going to share uh, self-timed approximately 12 to 15 minutes. And this is uh, the presentations will then be followed as, as usual with a, a question, an opportunity to pose questions to the panelists. So let's get started right away. And our first speaker this morning, please join me in welcoming Lisa B. L-E-S-A, right, Lisa, from South Carolina. Good morning, Lisa. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Thank you, Larry. Thank you so much. My name is Lisa B., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in South Carolina. Thank you, Larry, for your service and for everyone that's doing service behind the scenes. I'm so grateful to be here. Um, this is such a gift to be abstinent, to be recovered, to have neutrality. And um, I just keep thinking of somewhere it says, you know, to him who much is given, you know, much is expected. And I just pray that I could be useful and share a message of hope. It's the subtlety of this disease, you know, that was so difficult for me. So the title of the talk today um, is taken from page 30, more about alcoholism in our big book, and it's interesting because that's finally on page 30 where they identify what step one, how it reads, you know. So it says here, we learned we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics. This is the first step in recovery. The delusion that we are like other people or presently maybe has to be smashed. It has to be smashed, you know, and it was that process of smashing it with really with God's grace um, so I wanted to share a little bit about my journey um, the spiritual malady I was so aware of that probably from age six or eight just a feeling of restlessness and the irritability and an extreme amount of discontentment um, my mother used to say to me you know nothing is enough for you Lisa nothing is enough for you and um, I remember uh, experiencing an altering of my mood, you know, when I was 15, I ingested a liquid substance. And from then on, I knew that, oh, it's possible to have a different feeling. And, you know, food did not become something that I was really aware of until I got into college. But when I look back, I remember having a binge buddy in high school and she introduced me. She said, you know, Lisa, sweet and salty foods are really great together, like um, mint chocolate chip ice cream and Charles potato chips, you know. And I remember taking comfort in that and we would have a binge fest, you know, every weekend. And I remember eating cookie dough and things like that. And on my way to school, I would go into the dime store and steal candy. You know, I definitely had a fixation with sweets. Um, but really what began to happen for me, the big change is when I got into college and my roommate, I went away to school in my junior year of college and um, my roommate said, let's go to the pool. And she saw me in a bathing suit and she commented how I was skinny fat. And that just really, I had never heard that term before and I became obsessed with my body and um I began compulsive exercising and extreme restriction program. And when I came back after a few months being away, I came back home. My mother said, I look like a POW, a prisoner of war. You know, I was so thin and emaciated, but of course I felt powerful. And for me, compulsive exercise restricting always preceded 
a binge. There was always a binge. I am a real compulsive overeater, and it is sprinkled with restricting and and uh, exercise. So when I finished college and I was in my first apartment, I experienced a really terrifying thing. I could not stop eating peanut butter toast. Now, I blamed it on the trauma and drama that was going on in my family at that time. I thought it was just stress. But no, I had crossed that line that we talk about in the big book. And you know what? God really spoke to me then because I knew to the core of my being I would never be able to go back. This was never going to go away. I don't know why I knew that, but I just knew it. And I had my mother come over to my apartment, and I said, I've gone through a whole loaf of bread. I can't stop eating this peanut butter toast. And her comment was, well, that's how your brother is with drugs. And I thought, maybe there's a program for me like there is for him. And I began my search of um, studying personal development, getting into therapy, wanting to uncover what was it that happened to me in my childhood, you know, what was it that that made me like this, and um, I started going to, I went to my very first OA meeting in 1986, and I hated it, and I actually never went back to another OA meeting until 2015 when I came here to A Vision for You, and this is my home group, so all those years went by, you know, and I just gave it one meeting, and I judged it, there were four women in the room. I was thin. They were not. I didn't feel like I fit in. And they talked about child abuse and incest. And I thought, what is going on here? And then I was blessed to go to another AA meeting in a different fellowship. I went to an AA meeting to support my brother. And I heard a message I did not hear in that other OA meeting. And that kept me coming back to OA, but I mean to AA. And I tried to apply the steps in AA to my OA program, and it didn't, it never really helped me. Um, I went to a treatment center in 1987 for compulsive eating, and I felt so grateful to be in the safe walls of that facility. And I learned all about a food plan. I learned about entire abstinence. I don't remember studying the big book and getting into the doctor's opinion while I was there. You know, maybe they discussed it. I don't know where my head was at. Um, I thought, I've got the answer. It's this food plan. And I can be very disciplined and fixated about diet and restricting. I'll just treat it like that. So I did a white-knuckle abstinence, supposedly, for five years. But in looking back, I realized I really wasn't entirely abstinent, you know, and I still compulsively exercised. And then something else happened. I met my husband, and I thought all my problems were solved. You know, maybe I've made too much of this. Maybe I'm not really like one of those people with the food. Maybe that was just a temporary issue. And I went right into the mall and went to Mrs. Fields Cookies, and I was off and running. And you know what? I had to count the other day because I've been in a little bit of denial about this. I used to tell people that I stayed untreated as a compulsive overeater for about 12 to 15 years. But I really got out the paper and I figured it out. It was 24 years. I walked around baffled and confused, you know, and back into food. But the thing that happened for me, and this is what I hope shares, you know, the share will help others, is it morphed into a different appearance. The disease was still there, but it just was different. It wasn't quite as aggressive as an intense that the binges were before I went into the treatment center. I would have a binge once a week, 
But this is the thing that was so horrible for me. The selfishness, the, the way I just walked all over people, um, that is the disease. You know, that is truly the disease. The food is just a symptom. So the spiritual malady was alive and well. And the manifestation of my disease of compulsive overeating, undereating, and compulsive exercise, I stayed in that for 24 years. And the progression really showed itself in the emotional pain, the psychic pain. Um, I would typically be underweight. I would be crazy with exercise, sometimes getting injuries and just exercising anyways. But what really happened to me is when I got into my 50s. So by the way, I race into this. I get so nervous. I told, I really apologize. I've been abstinent and recovered since 2016. So my date of abstinence is January of 2016. And then I got recovered in March of 2016. So I, I apologize. That's how sometimes it happens to me when I get on these special editions. I just like plow right through. So being an untreated compulsive overeater and starting to steal from my father when I was working for my father, getting into credit card debt, trying to maintain an image with compulsive shopping. Um, what really happened for me is when I got into my 50s, my body really changed with hormones. And then I had three major deaths in my family. And I started to feel this whispering of depression and hopelessness and extreme discontentment in my marriage. And I remember my husband saying to me once, you know, why do you eat like that? Why do you shop like that? And I remember saying to him, it's the only thing that makes me happy. Um, I did not believe it was possible to get abstinent and recovered. I just didn't. I thought this was going to be something I have to bear. I was standing in an AA meeting one day. Someone said, you should check out a vision for you. I got on the meeting in 2015, introduced myself as a newcomer, got lots of calls, began working with the sponsor I met through A Vision for You in January of 2016. And the thing is, through grace, I knew that relapse was going to be a constant battle unless I totally commit to this 100%. And I just was willing, with God's grace, I can't take any credit for it, to do whatever she asked me to do. She was coming out of relapse and was newly recovered herself. And I learned from her experiences coming from being recovered to relapse that I just didn't want to have to go through that. So I learned from her. When she said that she did something, I wanted to do it. When she asked me to do something, I did it. The way I identified my alcoholic foods, which is so key, going through the doctor's opinion with her and really listening, of course, doing it in a state of abstinence, listening to the podcasts on abstinence and praying like my life depends on it and going through these steps, even though I didn't feel any different, even though I didn't really understand it, I just kept doing it and we did it quickly. By the time I was three quarters of the way finished with my ninth step, something amazing started to happen. I could feel unblocked. And then I knew that I was recovered. Working intensely with others right away in a very intense way has been so key for me. Getting active in service has been so key for me. Growing and enlarge my spiritual life with 
the shepherd of my soul, the lover of my soul, my creator, getting reconciled with the God of my understanding, having a vital spiritual experience on an ongoing basis has been key. Looking at the liquids that I'm ingesting, including caffeine, continuing to have entire abstinence and live in these steps. Like my very life depends on it because it does. It's the subtlety of this disease that will always take me out, minimizing, oh, I don't need to do that inventory. I don't need to share that 10th step. You know, I do what I don't want to do. If it seems too small, that's when I call. If it seems too big, that's when I call. I call. I work with others that are recovered and that are new, and I do a huge amount of inventory. Um, so I'm just about out of time, but um, I've been able to make amends with my husband verbally. I've been able to make financial amends, living amends. Today, I am the happiest I've ever been, and the relationship with my higher power is the greatest blessing of it all. So I hope that helps someone, and I'd love to take some calls if there's something I skimmed over that you'd like more information on. So I pass. Thank you so much. That was Lisa B. from South Carolina. I was so appreciative, Lisa, of your, your heartfelt share. And, yes, you were helpful, at least to me. <laughs> I'm sure many others. Okay, so, again, if you got on the line a little bit late, we have three panelists. We just heard from Lisa, uh, Lisa B., and uh, the, the title, again, of the, uh, of the presentation this morning uh, is We Had to Fully Concede. So they're, they're sharing uh, these recovered compulsive overeaters on step one. They're powerless on manageability and uh, eventually their admittance and surrender. So next up we have our next panelist is Dana P. from California. Dana, good morning. Good morning, Larry. Can I be heard? You can. You're coming through great. Thanks, Dana. Awesome. Yeah, thank you so much um, for your service and everything you do. And, uh, yeah, so I'm Dana P. I live in California, and I am recovered uh, compulsive overeater, purge bulimic. Uh, and uh, I'm so grateful to be here this morning. And, you know, it's the funniest thing when I had the, had the um, request, if you will, uh, when Leah reached out to me about speaking today, uh, immediately I went into fear and started my my uh, character defect lineup, uh, make up a story, tell her why you can't be here, what, what blah, 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 blah. And it's also odd or God, as they say, that I did have plans to go on a retreat this weekend, and those plans changed. So I had no, quote, unquote, excuse, but, you know, certainly – uh, in my disease mind, I could have made up an excuse. And, and um, you know, when I go into the book, because that's where I go, that's where my answers are in this book. Um, on page 67, it says, notice that the word fear is bracketed alongside the difficulty, uh, and on it goes. And the sentence that just pops out and jumps up and down at me is, it was an evil and corroding thread the fabric of our existence was shot through with it. And seriously, like that is the source of my suffering, you know, the fear, the fear. And I thought that I could control this fear, even so much as up until yesterday, I literally wrote out an entire uh, presentation that I was going to give so I would be prepared and so I would be in quote-unquote control. 
And what I've learned through the process of this program is that I have a tool, and it's, it's an inventory, that fear inventory, and I have to give it to God. You know, I have to really sit down and be quiet and have a look at what's going on. And so I'd just like to take a moment and take a breath and say, God, help me. Help me today, my beloved. Help me. Hold my hand. Be with me. Speak through me. Take away this fear of being judged, fear of not sounding like I think I need to sound, like not making sense, being jumbled up, making up a story to look good. Take away these difficulties, this struggle that I have so that I can be of service, so that I can be of help, that they can see that this power comes from you, this love comes from you through me. And this way of life that I live now is because of you. Help me to see that I'm simply an instrument of your love, of your power, of your presence in my life. Thank you so much. And thank you all for indulging me um, because it really helps me. Uh, And at at risk of cross-talking, I'm so, so grateful to uh, the share that came before and some of the things that I could totally rate, relate to is the peanut butter toast thing. You know, I, I went back to it. I'll share a little bit about my story because we are on step one. And, uh, and that's what it's about, you know, admitting powerlessness and what does it take to get there. Uh, not and, but that our lives became unmanageable and where I got to. So just a little bit of sharing about that. Um, Oh, and before I do that, I, I like to go back to the book again. I always like to go back to the book um, and the doctor's opinion, the last, uh, the la- very last paragraph uh, on XXXVII, I guess it's uh, 28. Um, Dr. Silkworth, in his letter, he says, I earnestly advise every alcoholic, every addict I will put in there, to read this book through, and though perhaps he came to scoff, he may remain to pray. And so I would encourage you, um, because I'm speaking to the newcomer, and that's what this program is all about. Uh, It's really step 12. And it's not that we get there and then we're done. It's that we continually, continually, I continually work the steps. Every morning I wake up in step one, admitting that I'm powerless. I'm powerless. And it says over alcohol, but really serious, I am so powerless over my thoughts powerless over my uh, emotions, and the only thing that I have any choice about is how I respond to that. Um, And if I'm not responding in a positive way, if I'm not responding uh, through the use of these tools and this book, then my life is totally unmanageable, and I step on people's toes. It's just really my life has been been self-destruction self-destruction, and I came in here uh, very alone without any friends. I had driven everyone away, and I came in here looking for friends, and what I found was that my friend, my best friend, is my higher power that lives in me, and I call him Beloved Master that guides and directs my life. So I'm going to go back a little bit uh, to my story and, and what happened and how 
how it's been interpreted uh, in my experience. Um, oh, and again, as Lisa shared, uh, my abstinence date uh, from compulsive overeating and purge bulimia is May the 17th of 2020. So I'm really new to this, uh, excited about the potential uh, coming forward, moving forward, and um, being able to help more and more people recover as a result of working these steps through this book. But I came in fear. You know, I came in here in fear and, uh, and loneliness, aloneness, um, and believing that at some point in my life I would die alone and I would be suffering alone. And so it was that fear that brought me here, that um, my life was completely unmanageable, but it was really the fear. And so I started out uh, at, at age 17 on a crash diet, very similar to uh, what I heard shared. And I hadn't really thought about prior to that, but my sister and I had kind of been binge buddies. And my sister also had some experience with uh, eating disorder behavior. And I, I believe that she still does. I believe that she is definitely one of us, but that's not my, that's not my place. I can, only, uh, I can only speak for myself. Um, so immediately within three months of losing significant weight, uh, going from 120 pounds down to below 90 pounds, um, I took up, as Bill shares in his story, about uh, the stock market crash and that people were jumping from windows and that he wouldn't do that. And then two, par or two pages later, he's swaying before the window and he's in fear of jumping out or, and or falling out in his drunkenness. Uh, three months later, uh, from the time when a woman shared with me about that I was so full of food that I wouldn't be able to drink any beer at this huge party that we had, that my boyfriend at the time had planned for me on my surprise birthday, I um, heard her say, well, just go stick your finger down your throat. And at that time, I thought how disgusting that was. And she was so skinny uh, that she looked really uh, sick. And I thought, wow, she looks really sick. And she is really sick. And I made that judgment. Well, three months later, there I was. I had compulsively overeaten what I thought at the time was a lot of food, and my stomach was totally distended because it wasn't used to having food in it. I'd been starving for three months. Uh, that it took me some time, but I was able to, I was able to uh, vomit that bread. And what eventually happened is the progression of the disease indicates it became my life binging and purging, and the flip side of that being restricting, compulsively exercising. And it was my existence, and I'm 60 years old now, so I went through stages of that. Um, and little by little by little, it got progressively worse. The time between the restricting and the compulsively exercising and the compulsive eating and purge vomiting Sometimes it was one day, sometimes it was one week. At one point, the restricting and the compulsive exercising went on for 11 years. And then my mother passed away, and I went back into compulsively overeating and purge vomiting. That lasted for about eight months, nine months, and then my brother passed away. And at that point in time, because of what I needed to get done, I 
essentially felt like I needed to quote unquote suck it up because that took me so much time and energy in the purging and the binging that um, I went back into the restricting. And, you know, the book talks about the effect. And so I have to really share a little bit about what that effect is. You know, men and women who drink like the effect. And what is that effect? For me, it was a physiologic, physiologic reaction uh, that, that occurred, you know, that buildup, that buildup. That as I restricted more and more that sense of power and control, it built up and built up and built up until it could no longer be controlled. And it's a physiologic reaction because my body was starving and so it compulsively overeat. And the fear of, losing, of gaining weight as a result of that drove me to the purging. And it's so interesting to me because I thought that I was, uh, I thought that I had it under control, you know, as far as the weight, because people didn't know. And it's such a huge, huge part of, of the disease for me is the hiding. And I seriously didn't think that people knew what was going on with me because it didn't show on the outside. And truthfully, everybody knew. And uh, You know, and I didn't mention some of the physical physical um, problems that occurred for me, and even starting in the 80s. So all of this this uh, compulsive eating and purging started in the early 80s. And at that point in time, within a relatively short period of time, I started having lots, uh, multiple problems with my teeth. And over time, I lost teeth. Um, I was wearing uh, uh, partial partial dentures when I was in my 30s. Uh, by the time I turned 40, I was already having reconstructive surgery and implant surgery and continued to lose teeth. And even so much as up until about three years ago, the year before I um, got into the program, I was eating, I was at a buffet restaurant and I was eating and eating and eating and eating and one of my teeth literally fell out of my head and um, and there was a big hole there and I all as I can remember thinking is oh great I have to go back to the dentist again and I ended up losing that tooth and that's the last uh, the last tooth that I've lost uh, as a result of this and you know it's so interesting because at one point I shared with my dentist and it's the same dentist that I've had all along but I shared with him the fact that I was bulimic, and he said, well, I don't believe that that's why you have this problem, which is so interesting to me. I, I'm not sure where that came from, but that's, that's what he shared with me. And I know, you know, it's, they, we talk about the conceding, you know, had to fully concede. And really, that is a personal experience, just like my experience with my higher power is a personal experience. And because it was shared before, but it says here, in order to concede, what I wrote down for myself in response to that question, we learned that we had to fully concede that we were alcoholics or compulsive overeaters and purge bulimics. Um, for me, I looked up the word concede, and I realized that in, in order to concede, I had to be out of ideas. And I had to be totally and completely honest with myself. And I had to be open-minded. I had to have some some sort of a difference of thinking, um, and I had to be willing. I had to be absolutely willing. 
And step one is that step where we get honest with ourselves, truly honest with ourselves. And, um, and so I looked at the word concede, and it, there's lots of, lots of words that came up uh, as antonyms or synonyms. A surrender is one, yield, give up, relinquish, turn over, hand over, part with, deliver from, forfeit, or sacrifice. And what was I sacrificing? What was I sacrificing? I was sacrificing an opportunity to be of service to God and his kids and selfishness. You know, I was driven by total selfishness. And on um, in the book it says here that, so what happened? You know, what happened for me? I literally had a directive from my higher power, and it was a voice that told me after I'd been in this program for two months, compulsively overeating and purge vomiting through meetings, uh, that I got a directive from my higher power that said, make a plan and stick to it and go to that vision for you meeting. So since May the 17th, I've been coming to this meeting and working these steps, I got a sponsor within that first week. I followed a plan, a plan of eating, and I realized, as it was shared before, is that it, the problem is not the problem is not the addiction. The addiction is not the problem. And Bill talks about it, and the book talks about it on page 64. And there's one small sentence that says it: "Our liquor was but a symptom. All of what I do, the, st- the stuff with food that I do." is just a symptom of what, of what? A disconnect, a disconnect from my higher power, a disconnect from my higher power. And prior to coming in here, when something bad would happen, I can't tell you how many times I was in car accidents because I was eating head on, you know, head on rear ending collisions, terrible things. And I didn't think of God until it came to that moment where my face was about to plant in the airbag and I'd call out to God, you know. I didn't fall on my knees until things got really bad. And what I've learned through this program is that unmanageability is a human condition and that only a spiritual experience can can solve that problem of unmanageability. And so what I've learned is to get on my knees in the morning before I get up at the very minimum and get on my knees before I go to bed at night. And that's what I've heard called the lazy alcoholic prayer. So I roll out of bed on my knees. I put my elbows on the bed. I bow my head and I say help. Before I go to bed at night, I get on my knees. I put my elbows on the bed. I bow my head and I say thank you. Throughout the day, I try to remember as often as I can that God is the power in my life and I'm never alone. I'm never alone. And I'm not sure how much more time I have left, Larry, or if I'm coming to up to my time. I didn't set my timer. Oh, you're fine, Dana. Yeah, we're oh, just okay. about there. Yeah, you're okay, doing great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So I'm, I feel like I've shared a lot of things, and I had a lot more to share. Uh, and I just want to say, if, if you're new or fairly new, stick with it because this is where the answers are. This is where the answers are for me, is making that connection. And uh, step 12, you know, I sort of started out with step 12 because I think it's super important. So go to step 12 and then step 11. And the last thing I want to share 
is a story that I've heard a couple times from a fellow, and I reached out to her asking if it was okay if I shared that story, because it's so powerful for me. If you're having uh, questions about a higher power or not sure, it just really impacted me, this, this story that came from this little girl. Um, her name was Nikolai. And so my fellow friend asked this little girl, she said, Nikolai, what is God? And, you know, God is a word, right? I, and I'll share just a little bit about me, me and that idea is that God is a word and we use it sort of loosely. Um, but I say, turn that word around and it spells dog. <laughs> Dogs have so many qualities of my higher power, of my God. You know, and think about, you know, dogs and how unconditional they are, and they always come back. I mean, you can literally smack them with a board, and they come back. Maybe their tail goes between their legs for 30 seconds, but then it starts to wag again because they're just looking for love and looking to you for that and uh, rolling over. You know, they surrender. They roll over, and they expose their vulnerable spot, and that's what I needed to do for my God. So anyway, she, she said, Nikolai, what is God? And Nikolai said, once upon a time, there was a great big, and it exploded, and it became lots of little tinies. And I'm a little tiny, and you're a little tiny, and mommy's a little tiny, and daddy's a little tiny. Such simple wisdom from a little child. And what I took home from that, sharing, and I think about it every single day, and I pray on it, every single day, is this idea that we're all just little tinies. And I, and I starred, starred zero or pounded zero or whatever it is to get that there's over 300 people on this line. And there are 300 little tinies. And I believe, I honestly believe that all we're trying to do is to get back to the great big. And so the question is, you know, how do I do that? How do I do that? I do that through service to others. And that's what this is all about. So that's why I'm here today. I hope that something I said helped somebody. I'm more than happy to share at the end my number and my contact information. Um, and I think I'm going to just pass with that. Oh, thank you so much, Dana. That was Dana P. from California. I, I wasn't, wasn't lost on me, Dana, that you started off with the prayer I don't know if the fear was taken away, but you, you asked uh, to be of service, and you, and you surely were. So thank you so much for that. Okay, our final panelist uh, is from New York. Uh, we have Diane B. She's going to share on her experience with Step 1. Uh, Diane, good morning. Star 1, Diane. So sorry, so sorry. That's yes, okay. here I am. We can hear you now. Great. Okay, great. Thank Good you. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy that there are people here um, because that means that um, I have other people who want to be in recovery with me. And I just ask my higher power to please help me to say what needs to be said today and that someone hears what they need to hear today. And, um, yep, amen. Okay, so I'm Diane B. from New York. I'm gratefully recovered, compulsive overeater, living in the steps one day at a time. 
And um, I've been telling people lately that I've been in the rooms more than half my life and I weigh less than half my top weight. And that is how I um, kind of describe myself these days. So let me give you a little bit of background. Uh, why am I here in this room? Why do I belong here when you know, I claim my seat? I remember my first memory of overeating is when I was four years old. I was at a girlfriend's birthday party. I asked for a second piece of cake. The mother said, no, one, one piece of cake per person. I was very upset, but I was okay. When I went home, I went into the refrigerator. I made myself a ketchup sandwich. And in those days, we only ate white bread. So it was white bread and ketchup, all carbs and sugar. And that's how I started to feel better. Um, when I was nine years old, I was at a friend of the family's bar mitzvah. There, I had nobody to talk to. I remember being like, just not having anyone to talk to. My sister was talking with some other people. My parents were involved with their friends. And there was this huge uh, buffet. And I ate and ate and ate. And then I remember feeling really sick. And I ran to the bathroom and I puked. And then I told my mom that I had just gotten sick. And her answer was, well, just don't eat so much. Okay. So I was on many, many diets um, throughout my life. I remember being 12 years old and going to one of those pay and weigh places. And I remember the lecturer saying, if you wanted to eat something that's not on the plan, just chew it and then spit it out. Don't swallow it. I'm 12 years old. I'm thinking, that's pretty interesting. Okay. I went to a diet doctor when I was in 10th grade who gave me a bunch of pills. I mean, I was taking pills all day long. I learned how to swallow pills without water because I had to take them while I was in class. Lost a lot of weight. Went to Israel for six and a half weeks that summer. Gained all the weight back. My clothes didn't fit me by the end of the summer. So then in college, you know, you hear about the freshman 15. Well, I can outdo that a lot. I actually gained about 50 pains. 50 pounds, sorry, my freshman year. So forget about that. I could outdo you on that one. I was yo-yo dieting my entire life. And then in 1986, uh, my therapist sent me to OA. And I went to my first OA meeting. And I wasn't exactly comfortable, but I wasn't uncomfortable. And I remember thinking, I had just finished doing a liquid diet. And I remember thinking, well, those people need to lose weight. I've already done that. So I was better than them because, of course, I was comparing myself to everybody in the rooms. Um, and my first abstinence at that point was eat when I'm hungry and quit when I'm full, which then went into 301, which is three meals a day, nothing in between, one day at a time. And I remember they used to say that when you look at the ingredient list on a package or a bottle, um, that sugar should be in the fifth position or lower. And so I did adhere to that for a long time. So for years, I was recovering, I was relapsing, recovering, relapsing. I mean, it was just a crazy thing. I was just yo-yoing still, but in the rooms. Um, I did leave for a couple of years in the early 2000s. Um, my husband was diagnosed with terminal cancer in 2003, and I remember that I went on um, a diet plan that you could eat all the protein and fat that you wanted to, and I figured I'm Jewish, and I figured that when he dies, um, people are going to be sending over deli platters. I could eat as much of the meat as I want to. Um, I did lose some weight on that plan. Um, and then, of course, I picked up a carb, and that was the end of it for me. 
And that was usually the end of it for me with most diets. They would tell you, okay, now you can add foods back in. The first thing I'd pick was bread. Um, and then that was done. I was finished. I would gain, I would gain all the weight back plus some. Um, so in 2005, I came back to the rooms. I was miserable. I was 330 pounds. I was depressed. I was crying, sleeping, or eating all day long. My kids were young, um, and I just kept thinking, who's going to take care of these kids when my husband dies? Because we knew that that was coming. Um, we didn't know when, but it actually did come um, a year later, 2006. In any case, I remember going into this meeting, and um, it was a beginner's meeting in my area. And they have a break in the middle, and then the break, um, a whole bunch of people glommed on me. And I have to tell you, I was really scared to go to that meeting because I was afraid that either nobody would recognize me because of all the weight I had gained, or they would be as horrified about how I looked as I was. Um, but nobody recognized me except for one person, and that was because our kids went to nursery school together, so she knew what I looked like. In any case, I remember talking, so they got me a sponsor, and I remember talking to this woman and saying to her that I understand about alcohol and drugs, and I had given up cigarettes in 1987. If I never have another drink, if I never smoke another joint, if I never have another cigarette, I can survive. I don't know how to do that with food. I don't know how to survive without eating. And she, she's the first person who talked to me about trigger foods. So in February of 2005, I gave up sugar and wheat, and I haven't had any since. However, I, my husband passed away in December of 2006. The following summer, I was drinking six liters of Diet Pepsi. Okay, that's not good. So I gave up artificial sweeteners then. Um, and then since then, I have been to it. I went to this nutritionist who was really wonderful. Um, the, one in, the one that I went to when I was 330 pounds, she told me um, if I wanted to have Oreos for, for um, a snack, I should just eat 100 calories worth. And I'm like, what's that? Like 100 calories of Oreos? That like, sounds like a bite to me. So that didn't work. That's when I went back to the rooms. Anyway, since then, I now um, abstain from eating anything with gluten, nuts, dairy, and then some other, and of course, all sugar and all sweeteners and some other foods because I do have physical allergies. Um, but I kept relapsing without the sugar or gluten. I kept relapsing. And so um, my father-in-law, who was 99 years old, died in... Um, 2018, I think, November, and by the following year, October 2019, I was just, I had it. I was binging. I wasn't eating any of my, my abstinent foods. I mean, I wasn't eating any of my, my um, trigger foods, but I was still binging my brains out. And um, I started listening to Vision for You in 2014. I've been to two of the three, um, two of the three conventions, and I'm really hoping we're going to have another one. Um, and then in 2019, I was just like, I was so tired and so fed up. <clears throat> and I just said, God, I can't do this anymore. I can't live my life like this. And so when I was listening to the meeting that morning, I heard three different people give their names as available sponsors, one of whom I recognized because I'd heard her speak. I heard her special edition. I'm like, I'm going to call her up. I'm going to call one of these heavyweights, right? And thankfully, she was available. And she told me I was going to work this program like my hair was on fire. I was like, what? In any case, I got recovered in six weeks. I got abstinent the day I talked to her. I was recovered in six weeks. And I continue to be 
uh, recovered, not only because I'm abstinent and I'm not, I'm living without um, these foods, but also because I live in steps one, two, three, ten, eleven, and twelve. And for those of you who don't, who are new or don't know all the steps yet, step ten is basically steps four through nine, um, but it's done in a much more condensed version and done more often. Um, I have an alarm set on my phone for every two hours. And every two hours, I pray, and I, rem- I remind myself, I do my third step, and I remind myself that I'm not in charge here and that my higher power is. Okay, so how did I get to this point? That was my history. How did I get here? So we're reading, um, we're talking about, we had to fully concede, which is in the chapter called More About Alcoholism, and my sponsor calls that More About Powerlessness, and I lovingly refer to this chapter as How to Have a Relapse. Because every, all the stories that are in there, I can do those things. I have done those things, okay? On page 30 in paragraph 2, it says, we learned we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics. Well, how long did it take me to, to learn this? How long did it take me to really fully concede, right? It took me 33 years. I was 63 years old. So I'm telling you, if you haven't gotten it yet, keep coming back. <laughs> It's like we hear that in the rooms all the time. Keep coming back. Let me tell you, it took me a long time. We hear in this promises that things happen sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. I am definitely on the slowly end of that spectrum. So I had to play no more games. I was finished. I was done. No more games with myself. No more negotiations with the food. No more fooling myself. Like, okay, this time it's not going to bother me. Oh, I'm just going to have one. I heard yesterday at a meeting someone sharing that she would buy a large pizza and she would just convince herself she was going to have two slices and then an hour later the whole thing's gone. I did the same thing. I would I would order large pizzas. I would get extra cheese on it because that you know for me that was really um, satisfying or maybe not satisfying but that's what I wanted. you know, and I would say, okay, I'm just going to have two slices and I'll put it back in the refrigerator and then the next meal I've had two slices, whatever. Never happened. I always ate the whole thing. Um, you know, the delusion had to be smashed. I had to stop. I had to really fully concede. Then in the big book on page XXDIII, which is Roman numeral 28, in the fourth paragraph, it said, I can no longer differentiate the true from the false. Well, here we go. I'm ordering a pizza and telling myself I'm going to eat two slices. Not happening can't differentiate the true from the false. Um, And then again on page 31, it says self-deception and experimentation to try to prove to myself that I'm an exception to the rule always led to relapse. That was me. Uh, It's like, oh, it's okay. I can beat it this time. Um, You know, it's not going to hurt me this time. I haven't had any in three months, so I'll be okay. Well, that wasn't true at all, right? And it always led me back to the relapse. Plus, I have to say that not only was it the food, but I wasn't doing steps 10, 11, and 12 on a regular basis. I mean, I was talking to people and I was sponsoring, so I was doing step 12, sort of. I would pray and meditate on step 11 in the morning, but I never did my evening review. And step 10, I hardly ever did because I was always too embarrassed. I would always think, oh, I should know this by now. I'm 55 years old. I'm 62 years old, however old I was. I should know this already, but I didn't. And I wouldn't, and so I wouldn't do 10 steps. And that always led me back to, in combination with eating the, my trigger foods, that would lead me back into relapse. Um, 
So then in the OA 12 and 12 on page three, it says so much experience in trying to control our eating, but someday soon we'll again find the strength of character needed to limit our eating excesses. And this time we'll keep them under control. How many times did I think that this was the diet for me? This is what, this is the one, this is the last, last house on the block. This is the one that's going to do it for me. It never did because I really hadn't really truly admitted that I am powerless. I had not fully conceded to myself, um, to my innermost self. Um, so yeah, that was just not going to help. Um, so pay on AA 12 and 12 page 21, uh, third paragraph it says absolute humiliation utter defeat leads to liberation and strength well this sounds really good to me i want to have liberation and strength i don't want to be a slave to this food anymore but how do i get this and you know these are really very definite words absolute humiliation utter defeat those are pretty strong words right but this is what i want how do i get this liberation how do i get free of this disease now, I want to say that I'm not cured, and I will never be free of this disease. But today, I have a spiritual program that helps me to live with it and helps me to live in a, in a recovered state on a daily basis. And that, to me, is so important and so uh, vital. Well, how hopeless was I? I was really hopeless. I told you I weighed 330 pounds in 2005. My doctor wanted me to have bariatric surgery. I did some research like, mm-mm, that's not for me. I know it's okay for other people, and then other people have done it, but that was not going to be for me. And then I went to this nutritionist, and when I told you already, who told me that if I wanted to have Oreos for a snack, I should eat 100 calories worth of Oreos. Mm-mm, that's not for me either, right? So I'm going back to the rooms. Back to the rooms I go. This is where I found out about my trigger foods in 2005. Okay. When I came back in 2019, now I've been reading the big book since 1986, because when I started in 1986 in Atlanta, Georgia, we didn't even have an OA 12 and 12. In fact, the first book that came out, I call the OA 12, because it only had the steps, didn't even have the traditions. So everything that we used, except for a few pamphlets, was big book and AA literature. Okay, so in the big book on page XXX, Roman numeral 30, Page, I mean, paragraph four, it says, the only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. I don't know why I never saw that before. And if I did, it didn't. I was like, that, I'm the exception to the rule. I'm going to go right back to what I said earlier. Not me. I, this is not for me. I don't need to do that. I'm okay. Right? So when I started with this new um, sponsor in 2019, she and I read the doctor's opinion. She gave me podcasts or special editions to listen to. And we really had an, a really heart-to-heart conversation about entire abstinence. And she made me write this list of foods that any of food that I couldn't control, tried to control, binged on, anything. Even though I hadn't had sugar or wheat in many years, she said, put those foods down also. Oh, my God, my list must have been two pages long. I could binge on anything. If I was in the mood, I could binge on chicken and broccoli. Like that's just depending on my mood, but I put everything down. Okay. And then on the AA 12 and 12, page 24, it says that we must hit bottom first. Well, I needed to be desperate. I needed to be so desperate that I would do anything. And I was finally desperate in October of 2019. 
And I have to tell you, when COVID hit on my birthday in March of 2020 and everything shut down, and I lived in New Rochelle, New York at that time, and that was like the, the ground zero for COVID in New York, and everything shut down overnight, I was so grateful that I had recovery. I was so grateful that I was abstinent because it was the perfect storm. I didn't have to go to work anymore. I was isolated by myself. I could stay in my pajamas or, sweat, or sweatpants or whatever all day long if I wanted to. I wasn't going out. I wasn't seeing anybody. I was having my groceries delivered. And it's never the same people who deliver. So if I were to order ice cream or whatever every time, nobody would really know, right? I became so grateful that I was recovered. It also gave me an opportunity to do so much more service to be on meetings every day. I learned how to use Zoom. I am not a computer person. I worked in nursery school classrooms with children with developmental delays. We did not use computers or any kind of, of um, tech in those rooms and not in my work. Um, so I had to learn all this stuff, but it was just an amazing experience for me. Even though it was very hard for me to be isolated after a few months, I was very, um, it was very trying. But I was so grateful that I had um, in 2019, gotten abstinent and recovered. So then, um, you know, goes on to say in pay, on the 12 and 12, OA 12 and 12, page four, it says, whatever the cause today, we are not like normal people when it comes to food and eating behaviors. You know what? How many times was I trying to fool myself? How many times was I saying to me, oh, that's not me, right? I'm an exception to the rule. I can handle this. That person." you know, it was whatever, but I can handle this, right? Well, that wasn't true. I really had to admit um, that I couldn't do it. So then I learned that, again, entire abstinence, and again, in the OA 12 and 12, it says, I must abstain from all foods and eating behaviors that cause me to eat compulsively. I can't do this by willpower alone. I must have higher power. Ding, 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 ding. Oh, my God, where have I been all these years? What, why didn't I see this before, right? I have my books are so marked up, underlined, highlighted, um, notes in the columns. The front, the cover pages of my books where they're, you know, it's like a blank page is like I have lists of, p of pages and what the keywords for me are. Like I've done this so many, I've read this stuff so many times. Why didn't it get me? I don't know. Higher power had a plan for me. I didn't know what it was, and I wasn't always happy about it. Um, but here it is, right here in the OA 12 and 12. And then finally, it says um, that this brings me back to, oh, so that, I'm sorry. So then finally, I just want to say that this brings me back to entire abstinence. Entire abstinence, not only the foods themselves, but the ingredients of the foods and the combinations of those foods. So, for example, when I was binging in relapse and I wasn't eating sugar or gluten anymore, I could binge on potato chips. I could binge on popcorn, high fat, salty. Um, I could binge on these, I don't know, these bars, these whatever, that are made with dried fruit and nuts, right? Oh, my God, they're so sweet and they're so, for me, like chewy, like they're really everything that I like. I could do those, but I really needed to look at the food and the ingredients and the combinations. So doing this entire abstinence thing paired with working with the steps every day, working my steps every day and continuing to do service and to be of service to others and to be useful, that's what keeps me recovered. And all I want to say to end is keep coming back. 
It works if you work it. And we hear that in the rooms all the time, but I was not working it until recently, until since October of 2019. I have been working it all the time. And so with that, I'm going to pass. And thank you for this opportunity. Thank you, Diane B. from New York. It's so appreciative uh, for your contribution this morning and to, and to all our panelists. Um, we're going to now transition over to the opportunity for you to pose a question to one of the panelists or, or all three. Uh, so with that, um, what I'd like you to do is press star one if you have a question. Questions only, please. And give me your first name and last initial. Who has questions for our panelists? And again, it's star one to unmute your phone. Oh, okay. Um, Hoodie, uh, I was just told that uh, for some reason um, it's not unmuting, so people can't unmute themselves. So Hi, Larry Kay. Start... Try again. It's Katie G. Okay. I just got on. But there might be Thanks, a lot of people. Katie. But I do have a question if I can put Hi. my name on the list. <laughs> okay, so let me, let's, yeah, let's, the hold on one day. second. Hold on one second. <laughs> so I have Katie, and go ahead Hello. with uh, the other names. Savannah G. Joanna. Maria B. Kimberly Maria B. Maria. Maria. I'll tell you who I who I'm hearing. Okay, so we can let me tell you who I'm hearing, so those people don't have to repeat their names. <laughs> there will be others. I, I obviously heard Katie. I heard Savannah or or something to that effect. I definitely heard Pete. I heard a Kim, Johan, and I uh, believe there was a Maria. Who else? Who did I miss? Judy D. Judy. Brenda A. Brenda. Andrea. Camille. Camille. Andrea. Was that Andrea? Andreas. Andreas. Great. And then, and who Camille else? Camille G. Camille. Kimberly. And Kimberly. Let's stop with Kimberly for the moment, because we're going to go to the top of the hour here. So we'll see if we can get everyone in thus far. So I heard. Uh, Katie, Savannah, or I may, I may have botched that. I don't think I can botch Pete, <laughs> Kim, Johan, Maria, Judy, Brenda, Andreas, Camille, and Kimberly. Those are the people I heard. If you're not Katie, if you'd be kind enough to mute yourself again by pressing star one. It's, but if your name is Katie G, we want to hear your question. <laughs> Hi, Katie. Good morning. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Sorry for the technical difficulties. Thanks, Larry. Hey, guys, KG. Um, Lisa and Dana, I hear a lot about putting down sugar and flour. Uh, I want to talk about addictive food behaviors as being part of abstinence. I hear that both for you. I was hoping you guys could walk me through that because I don't, I don't, I want to hear more about what your process of abstinence is with the addictive food behaviors, AKA I think I heard underweight, I think I heard exercise bulimia. Um, could you go through more of that? Thank you. Yeah, I can start. This is Lisa. Thank you, Katie, for your question. Well, uh, the compulsive exercise, really God took care of that because I had a 
injury, and then I needed to get open-heart surgery, so I was really out of commission from any compulsive exercise for five years, and that took it away, and then I had to get into physical therapy slowly. So now, um, you know, just like it says in the big book, the 12 steps can solve all my problems, and I have found that to be so true with the spiritual awakening. Um, I don't want to have anything ever with this is all when I say I don't want to like it's not that I have the power with God's grace God has given me a gift to not want to do anything that is going to bring that barrier down that's going to separate me from this power grace because lack of power is my problem so compulsive exercise would be a definite barrier for me so under the care of a physical therapist and now a trainer that understands everything um, I don't have compulsive exercise on the table. I'm just grateful to be able to exercise in a way that is healthy and conducive for a healthy body and, and all that. So there's no compulsive exercise there for me, but God removed it because of an injury and surgery. Um, I, it was really, it was like dried out of me. I, it was just like dried right out of me. And they always, I always hear that saying, um, if it, if I don't, put it down it will be removed and it was removed for me because I did not want to put it down and then it got removed I, I don't recommend the way it was removed but that's how it happened for me and now I do have neutrality and peace the other addictive compulsive food behaviors would be licking um, eating something off of someone else's plate when I'm preparing food putting it in my mouth eating when I'm standing up um, eating between meals, not weighing and measuring because volume and restricting is an issue for me. And for me, I love weighing and measuring. I know a lot of people say it, it sets them up, but for me, it's been such a wonderful pathway to freedom. And I weigh everything that goes in my mouth. Um, let's see here. I also, once I got recovered, I found that I was getting an effect from caffeine. I didn't binge on caffeine, but I began to become aware that it's a gateway drug for me. So um, it needed to be put down because I could feel that curtain come down that was cutting me off from that flow of that power that I need. And then the same thing with other substances like uh, other high fatty things like tahini, guacamole, hummus. I never binged on those. I have a lot of other food allergies that are not related to my compulsive overeating. So my nutritionist and I tried to find other things and those are some things she put on the table and it just, I found I wanted it every meal and I began to have too much noise in my head about it. So that had to get put down through doing 10 steps and prayer and meditation, sharing with others. Um, so those are the things that, that I could share on that, and I hope that helps you. All right, Dana, do you have something to add to it as well? Yeah, sure. Um, happy to share on that, and thanks, Katie, for the question. Um, you know, the, the part about, for me, um, going back to what was shared previously about weighing and measuring you know, so much of my disease uh, around the, you know, I would say compulsive eating. You know, people talk about compulsive overeating, and we sort of define our disease on that level. Um, for me, it's so multifaceted. And, you know, as I was sharing about vacillating between the two different uh, ways, um, and I, I didn't complete uh, the experience of what happened and how I got here, and, and you know, I was in that restrictive uh, compulsive exercising phase 
after my mother had passed away and then uh, and going or before she passed away and then going back to the binging and purging and then before my brother passed away kind of sucking it up and getting quote unquote getting control again um, and then losing the control ultimately after my brother uh, died which was my cycle of oh my gosh so he died in 2018 so for two years literally all I could all I did was binge and purge and go to my work and that was literally my existence for two years um so when i got into program you know the idea of quote unquote having control so weighing and measuring and all of that uh, was very very attractive to you i call her the, the scared little rabbit the anorexia girl because she's a scared little rabbit and it's something that was very dangerous for me I do weigh and measure certain things, but I don't get very, uh, you know, super, super tight about it. Same thing with the exercise. Um, what I do now is what's good for my body because I beat my body up and I have consequences of that in my joints, um, especially my hips uh, are pretty, pretty damaged. Uh, so I just, I move my body in ways that are comfortable. Uh, I have to stretch my body. Uh, and I do it in a, I guess, a weight, weight and measured sort of way, but not uh, compulsively as I did when I was uh, compulsively exercising. You know, I have to do X amount of these and X amount of these on this particular day and get on this machine. And I don't go to the gym. Uh, I do mostly stretching and that, that stuff, uh, stuff at home on a mat. And I take a walk. And um, about other compulsive behaviors, you know, work. And seriously, like, it's a process. It's an absolute process. And, you know, more will be revealed. More will be revealed. And my God gives me what I can't, what I need in the time that I need it. And I go forth daily with the trust in my higher power that, that I will be given what I need in the time that I need it. And so when these things come up, I get to look at it and take it through the steps if, it, if it's a problem. And I heard, you know, when it gets noisy, when it gets, some, some people say when it gets sexy, same thing with certain foods. I find myself really anticipating it so much when I'm not hungry, then I need to put it aside and see what, and see what happens. You know, what is the experience of that? Uh, so I don't know if any of that was helpful for you, but that's how it's working for me right now. But ultimately, 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 I always, always, always go back to my higher power, you know, and I check it out with my sponsor, uh, currently working on gaining some weight, uh, that is, you know, working towards, that's what abstinence is, working towards a healthy body weight, so I'm working towards uh, gaining weight now, taking suggestions, so I have a person who's uh, my quote-unquote food sponsor that has a very similar you know, so getting getting with somebody that has a similar experience as you, whether they're cur- even currently dealing with it or on and off, because, you know, I'm recovered, but I'm never cured. So that's always going to be there. I know it's always going to be there, that impulse to, you know, take away something, restrict something. Oh, I don't need to eat that thing today and take it off my list so I can eat less. And, and so, yeah, and the, I don't... Um, I don't have a scale. I don't compulsively weigh myself. I used to compulsively weigh myself and I'd go to the gym 
and I would get on the scale and I got, I would drink a cup of coffee, really strong coffee and eat some horrible, uh, horrible yogurt that was like full of uh, uh, products like, uh, you know, fake sugar and that type of stuff. And I would go to the gym and I would weigh myself and then I would compulsively exercise and I'd weigh myself again, compulsively exercise some more. I'd pee. I'd weigh myself probably five times every morning at the gym. It was scary, scary, crazy. And, uh, you know, I weigh myself once a month now and in, uh, in that way to just to know what's going on. So I know that I'm not losing and that I am gaining as, as what is needed. So, yeah, I hope that was helpful and you can certainly call me. I know we've been trying to connect and I'll pass. Thanks so much, Dana. Okay, so we, we have 10 more people. So what I, with love and kindness, what I'm going to ask is, number one, that it's uh, questions. We get pretty quickly to the question. And we'll just have one person respond. We'll try to do our best to get through the rest of the people. So next up is uh, Silvana. And if everyone else can mute their phone other than Silvana, and then followed by Pete. Silvana, good morning. Good morning, uh, Larry. Thank you for your service. This is Savannah G. from Pennsylvania, uh, compulsive overeater. And I was curious to know, um, any of the three, uh, what your constructive nightly review looks like. Okay. Step 11. I think that question's pretty clear. Can we, why don't we hear from, uh, from Diane B.? Diane, I can take that. that? Yeah. Sure. This is Diane B. I can take that. So thank you. This is a great question because I didn't do the nightly review for such a long time. I purchased a journal at an OA Region 6 retreat several years ago, and I love the format on it. And so what I've done is I've kind of adapted it for myself. I started writing my own uh, prayers to it, but it covers all the questions and all the things that we're supposed to be looking at when on page 86 in the big book, and it says when we retire at night, we constructively review our day. So all these questions are on that format. Um, in the morning, I write my gratitudes. Um, I write something that I like about myself. I write uh, something to keep in mind today. There's a section for notes. When I'm listening to the meeting, I, sometimes I'll jot down some notes. But basically, in the evening, I just follow all those questions that are on page 86 in the first paragraph. Um, and I'm happy to share the, pay, the journal page with you. Um, if you contact me later, I will happy, happily send you a copy of that. So it's really just all these questions. Thanks, thanks so much uh, for that, Diane, and for the question, Silvana. Pete is next up, followed by Kim. Good morning, Pete. Good morning, Larry. Thanks for taking the meeting. Appreciate your service. My name is Pete B. I'm a compulsive overeater, recovered today by God's grace and mercy in Pennsylvania. My question is to any one of the panelists that feels compelled to answer it. Um, uh, what is the injurious aspect of my alcoholic foods? Is it the phenomena of craving or is it the sense of ease and comfort that comes from ingesting it? Okay, does any of the panelists want to uh, take a crack at that? This is Diane. Hey, Diane, sure. Okay, so Pete, if I understand you correctly, you want to know what are the injurious aspects of eating those foods? Is that correct? 
Okay, I will. Yes, I will it, which is yes. the injurious aspect? Is it injurious that it that it produces the sense of ease and comfort, or is it injurious because it triggers the phenomena of craving? Great question. So, you know what we we're human, and we need to have ease and comfort. Uh, what's problematic as a compulsive eater is that we get that ease and comfort from food as opposed to from a higher power or from uh, friendship or whatever. So, but for me, the first thing I think of when you say this, the first thing I think of is weight gain because I'm a compulsive eater. So I'm always concerned about that kind of stuff. Um, but I do believe that we need to find ease and comfort, but the food is not where we need to get it. And that's where I needed to learn to find those. Um, Cause we're, like I said, we're human. We need our warm fuzzies. I needed to find that somewhere else. And I found that with my higher power and in my fellows, um, and then in terms of, I forgot the second part of the question. Anyway, so, um, oh, the trigger food. I'd like to also take so, a stab. All right, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead, finish up. Thank you. Sure, oh, Lisa, I didn't go right to ahead. interrupt you. Yeah, thank you. Well, page XXX in doctor's opinion, uh, very top. These men were not drinking to escape. They were drinking to overcome a craving beyond their mental control. My my experience is it's truly the allergy. Um, I do have some abstinent food that really tastes great. Uh, I don't know that I'd go as far as saying I get ease and comfort from it. I mean, it tastes good. I enjoy it. But I don't get that allergy, allergic effect where I'm, I'm rendered powerless where my life, these men, they couldn't go to their appointment. They weren't drinking to escape. It wasn't that they were spineless or lazy. They were drinking because they could not overcome a craving. So to me, it's the physical allergy. I hope that helps. Okay. Thank, thanks so much, you guys. All right. Let's go uh, next it with uh, Thank Kim. You. Thanks, Pete. Uh, next, let's go with Kim, followed by Johan. Kim, you can press star one. Okay, and maybe maybe I didn't hear Kim, um, but let's let's go now with uh, Johan, followed by Maria. Johan, good morning. Hi, good morning, Larry. Thank you for service. Great to hear you, and uh, thanks to the women for great insights on step one. And I'm wondering uh, when you start to work with a uh, a new sponsee. What do you suggest as a daily program for them when they go through the steps? I mean, they don't have access to 10, 11, and 12 just yet. And what do you suggest as a daily program for them as they go through the steps? Thank you. Does that make sense? Does, uh, does anyone want to uh, take that question? I can address I can that, Larry. Oh, go ahead. Who was that? You go. Oh, thanks, Diana. It's Dana P. Yeah, I can I can um, definitely speak to that. Uh, as they're working the steps, we start out, you know, where do we start out? Um, you know, one of the things that I've learned more recently that's been helpful is, sounds weird to say it, but uh, uh, start with step 12 uh, and, and step 11 because we have to get that conscious contact. And, and how do, you know, we can be of service by calling 
recovered people. I have sponsees or potential sponsees call recovered people and ask them questions about their program because it helps us, you know, and that's what Bill, uh, well, actually what Lois said to Bill, you know, well, you're recovered, um, you're sober. Uh, so, you know, that's a way to be of service. So getting people into being of service immediately, um, whether they know they are or not, you know, they think they're getting something else seriously, like those of us that are in this program need it just as much, if not more, than the newcomer. So I have them doing that and um, making the plan and sticking to it. And what I talk about when I say plan is, the, you know, whatever it is that we do with the food plan. And that's what my higher power said to me. It started out with a particular plan, um, and then I ended up with a nutritionist. So, you know, that's not something that I tell them, but do help them to determine what their trigger foods are and trigger behaviors. Um, and then writing gratitudes, uh, five gratitudes a day. And the most important part is the prayer and meditation practice, whatever that looks like. If it's like what I shared, blazing on prayer, some sort of way of making contact uh, and beginning to get, develop a relationship with the higher power. So that's the beginning. And then there are other uh, assignments, if you will, or exercises that I have them do. And that's what I got for you, Johan. Uh, I'm Pat. Oh, thanks, Dana. I think in the interest of time, let's, let's move on to Maria. Maria, do you have a question for the panelists? Yes. Hi, this is Maria B. I'm currently in Vermont, living currently in Vermont. Over. Over. I'm Austrian, really. From Austria. Anyway, um, I have, um, so I recently went through a crisis and I, um, I don't know, or you can just call it a roller coaster ride. I don't know. Words make a big difference how I see things. But first of all, thank you for the speaker and I love that. I'm in the rooms for less than half my life and away half from, I didn't catch the rest, kind of the idea of being half. Um, I have a question regarding <clears throat> perfectionism within the program. For me, I am probably first and foremost, I would say, a recovering perfectionist. And um, I come from a whole line on both sides of my family of strong, dedicated perfectionist and narcissist. <laughs> so, um, anyway, and so my question is, this program or the other two self-step programs that I am in sometimes activates my perfectionism when already I feel like, you know, the slogan, easy does it, is probably the farthest away from my personality. And, you know, I have character defects. And then I have things that I call more like features, like on a car, like features, you know. That, I don't know, like some features. Maria, that makes sense it. to yeah, me. Question, yeah, let's, let's... How do you avoid activating your perfectionism if you have that and figuring it out? Okay, so we're, yeah, that makes sense, Maria. So to the panelists, would someone like to take that with regard to an often uh, thing that we bring to program, which is our perfectionism? Who would like to respond to that? Um, I can try. This is Lisa. Okay, Lisa. I Great. also struggled with perfectionism, and I can still struggle with it. 
when my sponsor suggested gently, she just asked if I'd be willing to maybe look at weighing and measuring my food, I was terrified because I had tried doing that before and it would always send me into a binge. But, you know, something happened where that it didn't happen for me. It worked. It was okay. Um, it was all right. And I really think that going over into that deep end is part of the spiritual malady that happens where, you know, we, we become very sick mentally and emotionally in this disease. When we stay untreated for a long time, we get very sick and it's just part of the sickness. And my sponsor kept bringing me back to the, where it says in the big book, the 12 steps can solve the spiritual principles and the steps can solve all my problems. And I think just being willing to go forward because the disease says to me, why bother? You know, you can't do this. This is just too hard. And sometimes that negative self-talk is all a part of the disease. It really is. It doesn't want the ego to be snuffed out because it lives inside of me, the disease. It's very much attached to me being in charge and in control and being negative. What the program asks of me is a kiss on the butt compared to what the disease asks of me. And I'd rather listen to what the program asks of me and just go through the discomfort and trust that the solution, I'll be restored. That's step two. I will be restored. So I hope that helps. I pass. Yeah, thank, thank you so much, Lisa. Okay, in the interest of time, let's move forward with Judy, followed by Brenda. Judy, what question do you have? Um, star I, one, Judy? Of, there yes, you go. can you hear me? Can you hear me? I can, I can. Okay, yeah. first I want to thank everyone today for their service, and my question is for Dana, who began with saying that fear is the source of her suffering. And um, I'm taking my going through step five today. So, and I also have a life driven by fear, worry, anxiety, the feeling of aloneness that uh, Dana also mentioned. So, uh, quickly, um, I'll just pick up where the last uh, fellow said, but how specifically to Dana, when you, um, I still feel, feel the fear too often. Um, and I'm doing the work as I'm going through the steps. So, Dana, how do you avoid activating a fear, worry, or anxiety? And if during the day you're doing something and that fear or that thought of worry comes in your head and all of a sudden you find your body reacting to it, maybe you're starting to sweat a little bit, you feel your heart racing a little bit. So what do you do when that happens to you? Um, I think that's really clear. And, yeah, that's very and, clear, and, Judy. Okay. And also, how are you today with the, the idea of aloneness with your social relate? How are you in social situations today? Oh, thanks, Judy. Thanks, Judy, so much for the question. Um, yeah, it, and I'll say it again, it's a process. Um, but here I am, right? We're in a social situation. I started out with some fear and and. The, what you're talking about, the physical reaction, is it's physiological. And what is it physiological? So we start with a, it starts, everything starts with a thought, you know. And one of the things that I had a lovely conversation with a woman in program about, you know, she said, don't believe any of your thoughts. She said, try it for 30 days. Don't believe any of your thoughts. And I was just like, wow, that is so cool. So it, it and I've been practicing that, and it's so interesting. 
But um, looking at what, when I start feeling something in my body, this anxiety, the building of it, I have to look at, or I get to look at what, what's the thought behind it. And, and so it's like, it's kind of like the second column uh, when we're doing the, the fourth step, you know, the, uh, what, here's the fear and what is the cause. So looking at what the cause is and if it came from something, you know, childhood, whatever, it's like, okay, I'm not five years old anymore and sort of working through it uh, along those lines. But ultimately, you know, doing those prayers like I did at the beginning, taking it to God little by little by little by little, it's changing. And I can't even tell you today how, how much less on the Richter scale, if you will, that level of the fear and the anxiety. Uh, but for me, it was that, you know, run away and hide, run away and hide. Uh, and and they're, all, they're all reactions that come from what we call the animal brain. Uh, but and what I know is that, you know, I'm not an animal. I'm a human being. And that's what makes us different. It's the will and the power of the will and that gift of the will that's given to us so freely. Uh, it's what I do with my will. So I turn my thoughts to God. And I turn my thoughts to how I can be of service to another. Because when I'm running and hiding, I am not in service to another. It's totally selfish. You know, let save me, save me, save me. And so I have to start really focusing on how I can be of service to others. So that's how it's, it's changing for me. And again, like I said, it's a process. I don't think the fear is ever going to go away and or elements of it. Um, again, once again, recover, never cured. And I have, a, I have a solution, and it's in this program and in these rooms. So thank you so much for the question, Judy. It was beautiful. Thank you. Thanks, Judy. Thanks, Dana. Okay, next up we have Brenda, followed by Andreas. Brenda, good morning. It's your turn. Good morning. Thank you, Larry, for your service, and thank you, all panelists, for your insight. Um, this question is for Deb. Deb, um, I'm struggling with abstinence. I am a compulsive overeater food addict. I have experienced recovery, and I am currently in a relapse. And I am finding that my binging, there's not a food I will not binge on, alcoholic food, non-alcoholic food. And I'm wondering what you did to stop the binging. I am a quantity eater. And um, I'm famous for eating a couple of pounds of cauliflower. It doesn't make any difference. And I'm eliminating one food after another, but pretty soon there's not going to be anything left. Yeah, Brenda, that that seems to make sense. And there wasn't a Deb. We have Lisa, Diane, and Dana. I'm sorry, Diane. (laughs) Diane, (laughs) okay. All right, so Diane? Yeah, you bet. Diane, would you want to take that question? Good morning. Good morning, Brenda. Thank you so much for this question because I've certainly had my share of relapse. So um, when I started working with my sponsor, the first thing we did was we identified my binge foods, which I, um, you know, which I hear that you're doing as well. And I am also a quantity eater. So my, my sponsor convinced me or suggested strongly that I start weighing and measuring all my food. And my nutritionist had given me like a food plan with different measurements. And my nutritionist said that I didn't have to weigh and measure my vegetables. But my sponsor told me because I am a quantity eater, that I should also weigh my vegetables. 
So I started doing that. I'd be, I was very willing to do whatever it took. So I started weighing and measuring everything, and I still weigh and measure every time, you know, when I eat in the house. I do weigh and measure everything that I eat, and I carry my lunch with me. The first couple of days, I was kind of feeling kind of wonky, a little bit hungry, whatever. But after like two days, three days, I was fine. And I, my body adjusted to the amount of food that I was eating. But this is only the first part of it. So the second part of it was that without the binge foods, without the, the trigger foods or the alcoholic foods, my brain was freed up to be able to do the step work. And we launched into the step work, like I said, like my hair was on fire. So I would strongly suggest that you get a sponsor who has what you want and has a strong recovery and speak with them and, and follow their guidance. Um, because like I said, and for me, I had to become willing to weigh and measure. I never wanted to do that, but I did do that. And then of course, um, not having the trigger foods and working the steps that has totally eradicated my binging. So I hope that that helps you. Thank you. Okay. Thanks so much. And next up we have Andreas followed by Camille Andreas. Hi, Larry. This is Andreas. Can I be heard? Yes, you can. Good morning. Lovely. Thank you all for your service and a lovely meeting as, as usual. Um, so my name is Andreas. I'm a compulsive overeater, sugar addict. I uh, entered the program of the Fellowship of OA in late uh, 2018. Uh, I've had a couple of relapses uh, along the way, but I'm happily recovered right now, and I, I sponsor as well, so all good. Um, I've been on the same food and meal plan since since I started. Uh, I'm quite happy with it. Uh, I weigh and measure uh, like 95% of the time with the small exclusions of long business trips where I can't really control everything, but uh, that, that usually goes very well. Um, as this is an, um, a disease that progresses over time, I have come to realize that there are still some, some foods that can trigger me um, doesn't trigger me to overeat, but I can feel that there is a difference when I eat them. So that can be uh, like salty things or extremely fatty things or, uh, well, traditional trigger things. Abstinence food by chemistry, but not, um, yeah, it, it's not dangerous per se, but I want to ask all of the panelists how they identify the new triggers that come after a years of abstinence where you can see that, okay, this is actually triggering me. So how, how do you identify them and how do you implement those into your plan? Because um, okay. uh, the list can, can be very long. That. Yeah, that's fine. Thank Lisa, you. go ahead and go ahead and answer that. You bet. Thank you for the question, Andre, because I've had experience with it. I would love to share. I'm sure the others have experience as well, but I would love to share. Well, once I got recovered, there is a difference. Once we get recovered, there is a difference. There's a feeling of peace. There's neutrality. And when I would be eating these foods that at one time was okay, um, like, for example, when I would put a fat on a starch, like butter on a potato, suddenly it's like, whoa, there's a big explosion of uh, fiesta and fireworks going on in my mouth. It just was too good. It was too crazy good. And I could tell that this is 
this is blocking me from my connection to my higher power. So I shared it with another recovered compulsive overeater. I shared it with my sponsor. My sponsor told me not to rely on the nutritionist, but to go to other recovered compulsive overeaters. And I did 10 steps on it, and I gave it up for about 30 days. Then I went and I tried to reintroduce it, and I said, no, this is just, it's too much it's just too much so that helped me get clarity and the same thing happened with caffeine and um and the other thing is when i start to stockpile things like i tried having ezekiel bread i hadn't binged on ezekiel bread but i found i wanted it at every meal i became obsessed with having 10 loaves of ezekiel bread in my freezer you know i just so that's when I started seeing this is just this it's too crunchy, it's too I tried it without fat, I tried it all different ways and yeah, so I just saw it's blocking me from God. And my sponsor said, you know, we need to let go of trying to have this firework experience in our mouth. The food is just nutrition. It's like when I go to put gas in my car, I don't get all hopped up, you know, and excited. So I hope that helps and I'm happy to take an outreach call if you wanna talk more. I pass. Thank you, Andreas, and, and thank you so much, Lisa. And again, we're, I just want to be respectful of everyone's time. So, because uh, I, boy, I could stand the line for hours. Um, but anyway, with that, why don't we move forward to Camille? Camille, would you like to press star one to ask your question? Uh, Larry, thank you. It's Camille. Can you hear me okay? I can. Is it appropriate to ask a uh, question about sponsoring to the three panelists? Sure, you bet. Okay, okay. I have been have a long history in OA. Um, in in a vision for you, after the sponsor works through the steps with the um, willing candidate, um, is the relationship ended there, or does the relationship go on with that sponsor? Like, or are you just basically? left out to pasture as you continue on the road to sponsoring yourself. <laughs> that sounds pretty want, clear, I, Camille. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. You want to get their opinion about it. Who would like to, uh, to, to jump in on that? I can answer that question. Okay, sure. Dana, that'd be great. Yeah. 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 Thanks Camille, for the question. Um, and I hear this on the lines. Absolutely. You know, there is no vision way. Um, it's, <laughs> I sponsor from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't sponsor from the vision way. There is not a vision way, um, although, it, you know, it's just anyway, going from there. Um, I've worked with people that I'm still in contact with. So there's really kind of two different things, and there's really only one place in the big book where it talks. It uses the word sponsor, and that's a story in the back of the book. But in the 164 pages, it doesn't say that. In the 12 by 12, it does. Um, distinction, a sponsor can be somebody that's a support. Uh, it can be an accountability per partner, uh, somebody that you just talk to on a regular basis about, you know, how's your program going? What are you struggling with? Um, and then there's a big book guide. And that's the person that takes you through the steps. And so the big book guide might be somebody that just takes you to, through the steps to where you get to a place to where you're recovered, you know, and when I say recovered, I mean, have the spiritual experience and has a connection to the God of their understanding. And, you know, whether you continue on in that relationship or not is, is personal. It's between the two of you. 
so, you know, so I have some sponsees that I talk to on a weekly basis. Others that, uh, you know, and my, my first sponsor in OA, I haven't talked to her in uh, like a super long time. So that, you know, that's kind of my experience with it. I don't know if other people have other experiences, but, you know, I just want to reiterate it. There is no vision way. Um, it's working the steps uh, through, through um, utilizing the, the uh, book of Alcoholics Anonymous and the 12 by 12. And there's certainly other literature, but those are the main, main uh, pieces of literature that I use. So thanks for the question, Camille. It's a good question. Yeah, thanks so much. And thank you, Dana. And so our final question is going to come from Kimberly. Kimberly, star one. Good morning. This is Kimberly S. from Ohio. And I am back in OA again from, I've been through the steps twice with a sponsor in the last 30 years. And I have relapsed terribly from four years ago. And I am having a hard time um, with coming up with the idea of a higher power. And every day I try, I read my daily materials, but I still can't get there. And I wanted to hear what other people thought about that. You know, that makes perfect sense, Kimberly. Sure, Lisa, go right ahead. Um. You know what really helped me is for some someone explained to me that that's totally normal. That's normal to feel that way when we're in the throes of the disease. We haven't we haven't done the work. It's an action program. So when I'm on step one, two, three, I'm not going to have that connection. That's why I said before my experience was I had to just keep going. Even though I didn't feel anything different, I went through in faith. And that's why we don't sit a long time it's the action so the way we show that we're we're taking this seriously is by taking the action steps putting the food down and trusting that it's going to happen like when i'm on step two i won't know what that relationship with this higher power is going to look like when i'm on step three I'm, i don't know what that's going to look like um i i know it's extremely hard to understand that but that's how it was explained to me and I, I'm sure that others can touch on it, but I know that the meeting is ending and, and there, we'll be putting our numbers out and we could certainly share more with you. But it's through taking the action steps. That's where the promises are. The promises are not there on step one or on step zero. You know, It really comes at the end of step nine. That's a lot of work between one and nine. And the whole gift is that relationship with a higher power. So I hope that explains it a little bit more. I pass. Thank you. Yeah, Lisa, and thanks for mentioning that, Lisa, that we're going to get, as soon as we wrap up here, which we're going to do now, we're going to ask our, our panelists that we're so grateful for, for you guys to give, be charitable with your time for their contact information so that people can reach out to them. Let me first give you the share ID for today's presentation. Uh, today, Sunday, August 7, 2022, that Share ID number is 19,266. That's 19266. And we are going to close as we uh, typically do with a reading from page 164 out of the big book in a chapter called A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. 
God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your house is in order, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.